love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. oh definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. The world does not actually need Christians that desire less. The world yeah. needs Christians that desire more. Mm -hmm. When desire arises within us, in what ways, if at all, like is this moving toward beauty, true mm -hmm. beauty, capital B beauty, mm -hmm. and towards relational flourishing? Those two pieces help to guide us. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Ineacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram and help you build better relationships. And today, we are coming to the very final episode in our series on desire. And uh, we're really referring to this as our capstone episode. Mm -hmm. We're going to wrap up all of our final thoughts related to that. And of course, we kicked off this whole series all the way back in our episode with Dr. Kurt Thompson, where he talked about the nature of desire and what desire is ultimately pointing us toward. And then we went through all nine of the different desires within the Enneagram and what drives them as people. Right. So this is our very last conversation because we have both received training around desire with Crosspoint Ministries and our friend Cliff Roth. And so we really just wanted to sit down with Cliff and hear his thoughts and let him just share with us what he's currently thinking about desire and where this journey has led him. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to sit down with Cliff and um, have one final conversation about desire. Yeah, and uh, one of the things is worth saying about that, Lindsay and I both have been on a bunch of different retreats with Crosspoint, and one of the retreats that they do is on the topic of desire. Mm -hmm. And when I first went on that retreat, I don't know, gosh, uh, eight or nine years ago, it was a transformative retreat for me. And a lot mm -hmm. of the reason that we even, we even did this series was because that retreat explored desire in such a way that it was really helpful for me personally. And probably like a lot of people, when you come from backgrounds where you're told you shouldn't even be thinking about your desires, mm -hmm. to suddenly have other Christians look at me and say, no, let's pay attention to those things. It was yeah. really, really life-giving. Yeah. So we're really excited, yeah, for folks to be able to hear from Cliff. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time today where you're going to get to hear from Cliff. We're going to spend time exploring desire. But then, as Lindsay said, at the end of the episode, we're going to come back and she and I are just going to give our very final thoughts as it relates to desire. What have we learned? What are our big takeaways? Any areas we may have changed our minds, things that we feel like we really want to emphasize. So we're going to kind of wrap up the whole series with some capstone thoughts. Okay, so with that being said, 
Let's get into the interview. So this is Cliff Roth. Cliff is the executive director for Crosspoint Ministry. And of course, Crosspoint, uh, not only did they train us in the Enneagram, but they offer a variety of retreats, coaching, and general just spiritual support for Mm -hmm. a lot of folks who, you know, especially spiritual leaders. Like a lot of times spiritual leaders know what everybody else needs, but they struggle to know what their own needs are. And so Cliff uh, leads Crosspoint where they help leaders tend to the needs of their soul. So with that being said, here's our conversation with Cliff Roth about desire. So let's start here. How would you define desire and why is desire important in our relationship with ourselves and with God? Yeah, that's easy. We'll get that real quick. <laughs> um, kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> this is this. I'm glad you're doing 11 episodes because you're going to need them to talk about this topic because it's such a deep one. And that's one of the reasons why it's so challenging is because it's sort of wrapped in some mystery. And also it's really powerful. Sometimes I say it like this to sort of help define what it is. An image or a metaphor is helpful for me. It's kind of like uh, after a big storm, if a tree falls on some mm-hmm. wires and there's broken electrical wires out in your backyard, if you look out there, you're going to see some sparks flying. You're going to see some fire coming out of the end of those wires because that power, that energy, that electricity is looking for a place to go, mm. is looking to be grounded. Mm. It's looking, that energy is looking to be used and it has to be used. And the soul sort of like that. Rich Plass, the founder of Crosspoint, has said to me a lot of times, Cliff, remember the soul gets what the soul needs. Mm. And that's part of what desire is. Desire is the God-breathed energy that lives in us that is compelling us to relational connection, sort of like that loose wire that's looking for a place to go. And when that God-breathed energy that's looking for connection sort of gets hijacked or gets broken because of the storm of a broken world, um, then many times that energy is, is, is sort of flailing. It's, it's flopping around all over the, all over the ground. And we're like, things are catching on fire. And it's like, you don't want to go near (laughs) that. Like you, you're, that's scary. That's really scary. And if you touch it, you're going to get burned or, you know, there's all sorts of things that people tell us that sort of keep us away from wanting to figure out where to put that energy. And so a lot of times what happens is over time, you know, we'll either connect that wire to something uh, or someone that becomes sort of the, to us seems to fulfill our, our needs. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be good. That could be a, that could be love. That could be God. That could be loving relationships with other humans. It could also be unhealthy relationships with other humans, but also it could be things we can connect to things or experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and that when desire gets connected to something that is not God's sort of order, his created order, which is God, others or love of humans. And then experiences and then things that's Mm -hmm. kind of his created order for our desire and when desire gets misaligned or connected to something other than that order it gets tricky and a lot of times it again we get scared of kind of trying to approach it and sort of reconnect it Mm -hmm. because man if you unplug it from what it's plugged into you might catch on fire or somebody else will catch on fire or something bad could happen but also with the caveat that, man, I'm still learning. I don't know. I mean, we're all still <laughs> figuring it out. Like there's a lot of questions around this 
and the and some mystery around this. And if we don't come to this topic with some amount of mystery, thinking that we're going to answer all the questions or that it's a one size fits all deal, I think we're going to bump up against some of the things that have actually diminished or shut down desire and ultimately hurt our relationship with God and other mm. people. I, that is such a, a, a helpful image, this idea of the power line, because desires are so powerful. Yeah. They are profoundly, I mean, in Enneagram theory, the idea is that one desire becomes so important, we organize our entire personality and our life around getting that desire met. Mm -hmm. And so this image of like, the power line is down and there is this temptation just to go, well, let's just rope it off because I'm not an electrician. I don't know what to do here. Mm -hmm. So everyone just stay away from the desire. But the reality is it's like, it's not in the backyard. Like, it's in your house like that that you <laughs> has to be dealt with yeah. um or it's it's going to go sideways yeah. that 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 energy's going to go it has to yeah. go somewhere again the soul gets what the soul needs in other words there's something that's compelling us to attach to connect to something or someone and that is god breathed energy in us early church fathers talked about eros Mm-hmm. which is, you know, what we often associate with more of a, an erotic kind of love or passion, they use that word to talk about desire. Mm. And so, again, another reason why we want to leave this alone a little bit, because mm-hmm. you start talking about desire and passion and that kind of like more unpredictable energy mm-hmm. that's got some subjectivity to it. I'm not sure what's going to happen here. And, and especially you put the word erotic on yeah. stuff, then all of a sudden it's like off topic, right? Off, we got to leave that alone. Like I, I'm thinking there's sex. probably a lot of listeners right now that have tuned in going, oh, the Enneagram and desire, this will be a good one. And now we're <laughs> we're not sitting here just talking about sex only. And so, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really helpful. It is really helpful. So I'm thinking about just your image of, you know, we've you've got this energy source. We all have it. We all have something that kind of lights us up, you know, Mm -hmm, to just mm -hmm. continue the metaphor. (laughs) Um, But, you know, a lot of us, especially in, you know, the Christian world, you know, we've kind of been taught to diminish our own desires. You know, that this idea that, you know, you can only want what God wants and what God wants for you is going to be the most scarce, stark version of life available, you know, with the promise of riches in heaven. And so, you know, I do... I think we all would agree, you know, in our gospel of like, yes, God calls us to sacrifice and yes, heaven is a greater reality. But can you talk a little bit about what happens, you know, and what is the danger when we diminish or try to completely ignore this energy that we're calling desire? Yeah, well, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is that desire is the way that the kingdom comes on earth. Mm -hmm. Like we... When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, I mean, gosh, when Jesus learned to pray from his mother, Mary, you know, the first prayer she prays is like, you know, hey, I'll do whatever you want, God, Mm -hmm. like your will be done. Mm -hmm. And that's how Jesus learns. That's how Jesus then, I just imagine Mary teaching Jesus, like not my will, but yours be done, which was him learning to live in a healthy way with his desires, with his Mm -hmm. longings. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Mary had plans for her life, I'm sure, and that didn't probably equal yeah. getting pregnant by a, the Holy Spirit, you know, like so <laughs> like that was not in the plan, you know. Yeah. And so, as you said, with the Donald Miller quote, like she now is on a quest, uh, you know, there's something now she's got a challenge in front of her. And and so that prayer becomes really important. And Jesus then teaches his disciples to pray that way. And then that's the way Jesus prays in the garden before mm-hmm. the cross is like, not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. So our desire for heaven's riches or for God's kingdom is already in us. It's in us. And so learning to live well with desire is how that kingdom comes on earth. Mm. It's how things, it's how justice happens. It's, I mean, without desire, there's no love. And a world without love obviously is hell. And so this is how heaven, we experience heaven on earth is by attending to our desires in the appropriate way, in the, in the created order Mm -hmm. that God designed for communion with him, community with one another, and then learning to live with his good gifts Mm -hmm. that he's given us. So without it, the cost is that something less than the kingdom of heaven is here on earth. Mm -hmm. And I think we all know written on our hearts is more than that. We want more than that. We'd want more than just settling. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's, I mean, would you agree that that's going to look different from believer to believer? Like you, you're going to have a heart for God and his kingdom, but the way you're going to play that out is going to look different from your neighbor. And that that's actually a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. Really beautiful. I mean, that's the diversity in the kingdom of God. Like right. if we had some sort of theology that says, hey, you know, once you quote unquote get saved, like then you just become this sort of monolithic, you mm-hmm. know, heavenly creature. You become an angel. Well, mm-hmm. that's not what God does. Or a soldier. Right. Or a soldier. Like, like everybody army. just get mm-hmm. it, get in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, you <laughs> get the uniform, get your haircut, yeah. get the uniform, get in line and start following orders. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, th- that's not to say we don't, we, we're not a part of a, a heavenly army in a sense, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like we're going to look different. That is God's amazing design is he mm-hmm. brings uh, beauty. God's beauty is seen in harmony. It's creation working together, all the different parts of the water cycle, mm-hmm. uh, all the different parts of kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species, you know, like mm-hmm. all of it working together in harmony is part of his beautiful design and it gives him a lot of glory. So for us, our differences are actually what make God look so great. Mm. And so for us to become the same are all of our desires in a sense to look all identical. I think in a general sense, they're all longing for the same thing, love. Mm. But that love is is ultimately us being able to be who we were made to be so that we can do what we were made to do, God's mm-hmm. design. And he has different ways of bringing people together to do that. Mm, that's really helpful. Okay, stay with us because when we come back, we're gonna continue our conversation with Cliff Roth. We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. 
Welcome back to the Cast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And we are continuing our conversation with Cliff Roth. So, Cliff, can you talk a little bit about the relationship between beauty and desire? Yeah. So whenever we talk about this, I like to refer to what's often called the transcendental properties, which are truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in our Greek culture, we highlight truth a lot. You know, everything's got to make sense. Mm-hmm. We have to, we, we have an order, we have a logic to our theology, a logic, a system, right? To, to everything. And there's, there's, that's, there's value in that. There, there is an order to things. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Enneagram is an attempt to do so. Absolutely. That. It's yeah. a systemized, helpful order of personality theory. So I don't know if that's what you would say, but that's yeah, what I was. Okay. That's yeah. what I so say. Um, <laughs> I, I think we're pretty good in that space. Okay. So, and again, transcendental means it's inviting us to something beyond ourselves. It's inviting us to more. And truth has a way of doing that because the more you explore truth, the more you understand that you don't understand mm-hmm. it, right? Like you, there's like, there's be, it's beyond you. Um, you can try to get it in a box, but eventually you, you kind of run out of energy. So at a human level and you need more, you need God to help you and lead you into truth. Then with goodness, I mean, we tend to have, especially in, in the American evangelical experience, there's a lot of emphasis on service or doing things mm-hmm. and kind of engaging your body and, 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 and love, like, and that's how I talk about goodness a lot. We get mm-hmm. stuff done. Like there's, there's an experiential reality to our Christianity. Like we think this, we do this, we think this way, we behave this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And many times, you know, that kind of keeps us in a box or like in that back into the, the marching orders mm-hmm. or the, the, you know, the soldiers in an army, like that keeps people in line when you have rules and you have behaviors that have to kind of follow out of those rules it's easier to kind of things done and it's a little more efficient and effective. And, but the challenge is, is at the end of the day, many times that process doesn't leave a lot of room for what we would call beauty because beauty has, it's really tied to mystery. It's beyond, it really is the part of the transcendental properties that takes us beyond. So it kind of leaves us in awe. It's like when you walk into a an art gallery and sometimes you just, you kind of can't stop looking Mm. because it's just so, intriguing um, a piece of art or a sunset, right? Or a sunrise. Mm -hmm. These things kind of, they take our breath away sometimes. And when that gets integrated with truth and with goodness, now all of a sudden you've got a lot more, uh, man, that's a real recipe for feeling really alive. Mm. I mean, you take away the truth and you have beauty and goodness Like we talk about that as sort of a danger zone because there's not many, you you need the guardrails of truth. Mm, You need mm -hmm. objective realities. You need some black and white because there are ditches on each side of the road there. And and we got to have something to kind of help you stay on on the path. So we know there's truth. We know there's systems. We know there's logic that helps balance out beauty and goodness. Again, but if you just got truth and goodness, you got a lot of dutiful Christians that have no um, understanding of delight in their souls, or even mm-hmm. I would just say of desire, like they, re- their desire gets shut down. Mm-hmm. So bringing beauty into the conversation is especially in our Christian culture, it's really important. And there's amazing philosophers who've done really great work on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I always talk about Charles Taylor's description of the, what he calls the cross pressured space, which is the space between the transcendent and the imminent. Mm-hmm. In other words, this sort of physical realm we live in, uh, and then this realm that's beyond us. And 
And beauty is a, a really important part of staying um, and healthy in that cross-pressured space. You take that away and you really get focused on our imminent space. Like just let's, let's just do, it becomes very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just kind of have programs and systems and things that keep us going and surviving, but we forget what's beyond. So I, I think beauty has to do with, with sort of bringing a balance to how we live in the already not yet um, with our desires that we are not just here again as taking marching orders, but that part of our marching orders is to live in relationship with a God who made the stars and yeah. who made the seas and who, as my kids say, paints a new painting every, every day, every mm-hmm. morning and every night. Um, and we get to enjoy that. And as we enjoy that, we realize that this, this King that we serve is, is, is close to us and he is inviting us to um, to something really, really, really beautiful that's beyond just getting stuff done. Yeah. So you mentioned one ditch is if you have truth and goodness, you've mm-hmm. kind of got that soldier thing going that duty, on. Duty, duty. You're, you're really lacking yeah. delight, mm-hmm. you know, and that your desires are in mm-hmm. that creative delight. So the other ditch would be goodness and beauty. Mm-hmm. What is that? I call that the danger zone. Like, yes. Okay. So it's just it's it's a lot of energy because remember we talked about desire, energy, and you beauty activates. It tends to activate that. Like mm-hmm. man, you mm-hmm. you you eat a really good meal and or you have a really good glass of wine and it's mm-hmm. like man, I want another one of those. Yeah, I see that as like high appetite. Yes. Like it's like well, high appetite without sort of restraint. There you go. Because desire is so closely connected to our, the reward center of our brain, mm-hmm. which is a whole other part of this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. That desire energy and anything that's that we deem beautiful is going to activate dopamine and, and it's going to reward us with something. We're going to feel something in our body. That mm-hmm. sense of awe is God's design to help lower stress and to help us engage in this world and mm-hmm. stay on mission and connect and connect. Yeah. yeah. It, it's what helps yeah. us connect. So the dopamine reward process helps us connect. But if you have that reward process without any rules or in, in a sense, without any kind of without any kind of guardrails or something that's grounding you, that there's a sense in which we become beasts, you yeah, know, where yeah, we're driven, whatever, we're driven whatever makes by, me feel good. Yes. Yeah. I think about it even in this way, you know, to use like, let me use different terms for some of the things you're saying is like, is this friction that exists in Christendom between, well, should we really be about orthodoxy? Mm-hmm. So it should be like right mm-hmm. truth, mm-hmm. right truth. Or should it be all about, uh, you know, orthopraxy? It's like right action. Mm-hmm. Like we need to go out and do good. Um, but what's fascinating is you read the Gospels, and while Jesus definitely attests to those, those are theological yeah. terms to describe those movements by Jesus. He's actually often he's often after orthopathy. He's mm-hmm. after this idea of of drawing out our desires and drawing out our right affections, and that we become people that that really want to taste and experience yes. and yes. step into. And so, so often in Christendom, we love to talk about think this way, so orthodoxy, go do this, orthopraxy, and we almost never talk about orthopathy, which is this Mm -hmm. thing of desire. And I do think at some level the reason is because it feels so unwieldy inside of us. It feels like (laughs) the only way I can, it's an animal to be tamed, Mm -hmm. and the only way to tame it is to think right and to go do right and to literally like lock it in its room and ignore it. 
But Jesus did the opposite approach. Jesus actually drew out the desire and said, let's let's actually respond to those desires. So when we think about Jesus inviting us into the abundant life, it's like, it's all those things. Yeah, well, and, and the only way that I think we can ever live in the healthy, in the healthy tension of that space is when we're willing to talk about what even orthopath, orthopathy, I say the word, I, I don't use this word because I can't say them more. <laughs> uh, orthopathy is that word pathos, right? It's getting at a sense of feeling, mm-hmm. right? When we talk about apathy, the word apathy means non-feeling. A lot of people that I work with, they do have an apathetic sense. They've shut down those that feelings space. And when it comes to engaging desire and this idea of beauty, it really requires us to talk about our internal experience. Because everybody has that ex- internal experience of beauty, of awe, of, of feeling. Mm-hmm. But when we don't have a voice or a word, uh, words to use to express what's going on in that heart space, because we're taught feelings are dangerous or feelings are, are you know, bad, like bad, stay mm-hmm. away from them, avoid them because they slow you down and you don't, you can't do as much good mission work if you are feeling mm-hmm. your feelings. There is a real a real sense that you shut down desire at the same time. So what we have to do is have a language, a voice. And that's what we see over and over again in the life of Christ is that this is why he asked people the question you were referring to earlier. What do you want? Mm -hmm. He wanted them to put words to their desires. They have to, desire needs to be spoken. It needs to be expressed. It's not just, desire is not just, is not an action. It might result in action, but the desire is a very intangible, immaterial emotional experience in your body that needs words that needs to be expressed. So Jesus, his prayers are expressions of his desire. It's him living in that orthopathos space. Mm -hmm. He's not worried about his doctrine when he's crying out in the garden. Is there any other way? He knows the truth. He already knows. He's just expressing his heart. And there's such a deep connection between our engagement with beauty in the invitation to express our hearts. Uh, so even, you know, artists are often expressing an internal experience when they make a beautiful song or write a beautiful song or make a beautiful painting or build a beautiful building. They're expressing an internal experience. And what it does, the reason it resonates with us as humans is because it touches our internal space as well. So it calls out from within us something that's immaterial, that's intangible, that is a emotional reality. And when you deny that beauty space or you deny desire in an effort to be more effective or to fit, you know, to not have to deal with the pain of working that process out, what you're ultimately doing is you're shutting that voice down and you're making and creating apathy in the heart of yourself Mm -hmm. or of others around you. Many times beauty is connected to a memory. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, you know, there's being created in the image of God. Every human at their core remembers that they're created for more. They're mm-hmm. created for connection, for relationship. Every human in all times and in all places remembers at their core, even if there's been a lot of forgetting and, and a lot of hijacking and a lot of the curse influencing, or even if there's the greatest amount of brokenness possible, at the core, every human actually remembers they were created for love. And so beauty- Which is why they understand and perceive that there's brokenness. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. if there is no 
desire for love, then there's no acknowledgement of brokenness. brokenness. So beauty is also connected to, uh, usually uh, it is connected to memory, but often it can be connected to a painful memory. Mm. It's not just a memory because that painful memory is what reminds us that we're created for more. So there's an activation there of oftentimes pain whenever we're talking about uh, beauty. So when I'll ask someone who feels like they're kind of out of touch with their desires, what is beautiful to you? And they have no idea. You know, I can ask them, what is painful? What's been painful for you? And eventually we're going to get to a story or a memory that's Mm -hmm. going to help them sort of navigate and reawaken what it is that's that's beautiful for them, which ultimately is awakening that desire within them as well. I think that's so true. I mean, we talk about it in Enneagram language of like when you're looking at your story, you know, you pick 25 or however many experiences that you've had in your lifetime. And somebody who lived your exact same life might pick different 20 experiences, but the things that stick out to you, the high moments and those really painful moments, the reason they are coming up over and over again is because they are so attached to your desire, your longing, you know, those things that were supposed to be original that were broken or messed up along your path and you couldn't just get over them. You know, somehow they stuck to you because they were tied so closely to that transcendental you yes. know, desire. Yeah, that desire for more, that yeah. longing for something beyond ourselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Which also, again, only reiterates this this truth, which is when we really know that we want this thing, this relationship, this experience in life, to have a certain connection with somebody, and it we can't get it. You know, mm-hmm. dynamics yeah. in life. Mom and dad can't show up for you the way that you know that you want mom and dad to show up. You know, spouse can't show up for you in that way. Your friends aren't that there's a real brokenheartedness that comes with that, which is, again, why so so many of us sort of, you know, we baptize our pain in a way. Like, we, it's like we don't want to acknowledge the desire because we can't wake up in the morning and live with the reality that that desire may never be fulfilled. And so instead, we just kind of put a Christian bumper sticker on it, yeah. hoping it's going to go away. Yeah, we work around the pain of that loneliness. Mm, you see... Yeah. Desire, another word we often use for desire is longing, and longing is Mm. a very closely related word to the word lonely. The feeling of loneliness, as I said earlier, is the most universal human experiences, and it's because it's not a part of the curse. Loneliness is written on us because it's the internal bodily experience of desire. It's the longing Mm. for connection. and, And we've learned in our fallen world because of the lies of the evil one, to associate that longing with something bad. That's a bad thing that we, that when we feel that, that desire, that hunger, that craving for connection, that somehow, you know, we should just automatically have it. And that the moving toward the crying out that Adam did even before the fall, in a sense to say, God, I I, I don't see anything that's going to work for me here. And God says, it's, it's, I want you to have connection. I, I don't, it's not good for you to be alone. He's not saying that the feeling of loneliness is bad. In fact, he's blessing the feeling of loneliness, in my opinion, because he's saying, if you didn't have that feeling that I gave you, then it, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You'd be settled with zebras. And so, you know, that would be weird. <laughs> and so, uh, um, and so what we see then is a real connection to moving through the pain of desire means moving through the pain of lonely and moving through the pain of lonely is what gets us to connection and intimacy. And oftentimes no one else 
seems to understand it, it can feel really lonely in that space when I have a longing for something really big, you know, um, that's really beautiful to me. Other people may not feel or sense quite the same. And I have to mm-hmm. I have to be willing to cry out and use words to express why I'm lonely for fill in the blank. Yeah. And when I express that to God and I give myself permission to be lonely in that space and I express that even to other people, that's really where we 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 tend to find flourishing. Now, again, in a fallen world, we've taken that risk from time to time and be, we've come up empty at a human level. Yeah. And people don't meet us in that space. And so what we do is instead of continuing to work through that loneliness, we find bypasses around it. And we can slap all sorts of spiritual bumper stickers on working around your loneliness to avoid that pain and trying to find some sort of, you know, uh, intimacy with God or other people that's 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 actually falling short of what we were created for because it's not really tapping into the deepest desires or longings of our hearts. Okay, so some of us are like, you know, some people listening are probably like, they can identify their desires. They're like, I want this and I want this and I'm hoping for this and I long for this. Other people are like, I don't even know where to begin. How can someone begin to get in touch with their own desires? Yeah, I know this might sound sort of like a negative direction to go, but I I have found that this, because of the fallenness in our world, with most of the people I work with, this is the way that I, when someone has no connection with their desire, I am going to start with their story, right? And as they tell their story, I'm going to ask them to listen for a, a memory or a, a part of their story that kind of awakens some anger within them. Now, you know, the way I understand anger, I think many people, I would use the word rage for what a lot of people are talking about when they talk about their anger, which is a fight response to something, to a threat in their life. So I want to just- Because it's shielding something tender. Correct. Yes. So the anger is coming up because it's the first line of defense and it's it's actually a sign that it's protecting something very tender behind it. Yeah, you could say that, but I would also say like, what we're often referring to as anger is a, yeah, I, I guess that's what I'm saying, that there's a rage that is actually a protective energy. Mm-hmm. Anger may still be protective energy, but I like it more as an expression of what is good, true, and beautiful within me. Because when what is good, true, and beautiful outside of me is not there, when it's broken, when it's missing, God gave us a sense in our bodies to move toward justice, right? To move toward righteousness, Mm -hmm. to move toward beauty, truth, and goodness. And so when it's not there, there's a feeling inside of me that wants to make that good, true, or beautiful. And many times that is shut down in us. And it's shut down because we have never been given permission to express it or, or guidance or taught how to express it because it's been perceived as rage, which is you're just, you know, you're afraid. Trust me. You're afraid. Just trust me. Be quiet. It's going to be fine. And when we're coached to express that internal longing for truth, beauty, and goodness, I think that's healthy anger. That's what Jesus, I think, models for us a couple of times in the Gospels. But for sure, he models healthy anger, which is what we often call the passion of Christ, which is the willingness to be in pain for something that matters more than the pain. Mm -hmm. That's Chip Dodd's definition of passion. And we talk about anger as the energy, the feeling in our bodies that gives us the gift of living into our passion, which we could also associate with desire. What is it that I desire most in life? What am I willing to be in pain for that matters more to me than the pain that I feel pursuing it? Mm. That's a beautiful mission, right? That's Mm -hmm. how people start organizations like Love Thy Neighborhood. You have an, you're angry about something. 
something good, true and beautiful. Yeah. And when you're angry, when that, when you're willing to feel that feeling and express that feeling, that then gives you the gift of passion, which you've had to fight through some walls. I mean, you've had to overcome some obstacles and barriers to keep this organization alive. And you're still doing that. And that's what's going to get you through. Fear might get you ready for that process and determining the threats that you're going to have to face. Rage surely is going to get you through, though. You're going to run out of power, run out of energy and and staff. staff. (laughs) But but at the end of the day, anger is what's going to your when you tap into that anger, you're going to feel. So when I'm working with someone who's like, I don't know what I want, but I don't know what I'm what I desire in life. I don't know what I'm passionate about. Well, we're going to listen to their story and we're going to discover when when do they have any memories of when something wasn't good, true, or beautiful that that then incited in them some anger. My anger is for pastors and Christian leaders to have the courage to believe their own claims. And if you listen to my story, you would know exactly why that's my anger. Mm-hmm. It's rooted in my family system. It's rooted in the religious system that I was raised in, where I felt like there was a disconnect between what people were saying on Sunday and what they were living on Monday. And I wanted those people living on Monday to have the courage to believe what they said on Sunday. That's my anger. And that is what fuels my vision for Crosspoint. And that's why we keep doing what we're doing to help not just pastors and Christian leaders, but every person I interact with who's willing to go on that journey. I'm like, come on, like I'm going. Like if you come with me or not, I'm still going, you know? And that's that's healthy anger and passion. And that's part of me living in a healthy way with my desires, with my longings. Mm. And, and that gives me language and verbiage to talk about what I desire and what I want. And so whenever I walk into my office on Monday morning, I know where I'm going because I'm connected to my anger, which is connected to my desire. And so awakening desire often looks like that, that sort of painful journey where you talk about and you tell some of your pain. You put words to that. And then you express that to God. You sort of give yourself permission to express that and you express it to other people, not in a way that says, that puts you in sort of a victim role, not that you're not a victim, but that's not where we want to get you stuck. We want you to feel the pain of that experience, but also know that that pain is what is inciting beauty because you know you're created for more. Now live into that. And you can go down all nine types and styles of the Enneagram and you could find a memory or tell a story that's going to activate that kind of like, now live toward that. Mm. And that mm. gives you some fuel in your tank. Mm. That's really helpful. That's really helpful. Cliff, thanks, man. Hey, thank you so much for joining joy. us and yeah, talking about this. And it's such an important one. So that was our conversation with Cliff Roth of Crosspoint Ministry. Stay with us because when we come back, Lindsay and I will be offering some of our final thoughts on the topic of desire as we wrap up our series. We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There, you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. 
Hey, welcome back. Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. Okay, so we are right now wrapping up our entire series on desire. We're going to offer some final thoughts. Here's our capstone statements about the whole thing. (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) Um, And I think that one of the things that that we're, you know, been thinking through is like, what is the relationship between desire and the way of Jesus? Like, how do we as Christians understand desire cultivate desire, pursue desire, but also make sure that we're faithfully walking with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what we've discovered on this journey is that Jesus frequently does acknowledge that we are people at war within ourselves. You know, all through really all of Scripture, but especially the New Testament, even getting into the letters of the New Testament, we see this constant war between, you know, that our true self and our false self. Like Mm -hmm. before Christ and after, the already and the not yet, you know, that we're always... The new man and the old man. Yes, exactly. That we have these two sides to the same coin, good and evil, are possible with one person. Yeah. And I think that, I think, Lindsay, like, in in thinking about this whole series, you know, we we spend all this time talking about desire in general, Mm -hmm. and then we go through all the nine types, right? And we're talking about that specific desire and that Mm -hmm. specific desire. And I think that you know, in a lot of ways, we come back around to exactly where we started, which is this <laughs> sense of like Christians often don't know what to do with desire. Mm-hmm. Like there's either like we live in a culture that basically says you should acknowledge all desires and you should express all desires. And then Christians are like, you shouldn't even acknowledge the desire and you definitely shouldn't express it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're left with like, well, do I worship the desire? Do I fully deny the desire? And I think that Jesus offers a, a third choice, which yeah. is acknowledge all of your desires, but then entrust those desires to him and begin to explore what's under those things so that ultimately you do express the ones that are good and the ones that are true and the ones mm-hmm. that are life-giving. We end up in this instead in this scenario where it is. It's either we worship it or we deny it. Right. And, um, and I think that Jesus offers us something that's a little bit better than either of those choices. Yeah, I agree. I think— Many people listening, and and ourselves included, we have heard the idea that we're to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that feels like the only desire. And we're so focused on becoming little robots that have that as our, our centered desire that we've lost the beauty and the nuance that comes when each person is displaying that in a different way to make up the whole body that is the church. So we're saying, yes, we are still saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But the way you're going to express that, the way you're going to bring that into fruition can be really unique to the ways that God specifically wired you. Like your strengths and even your weaknesses are things that God desires to use for you to bring this beauty and flourishing into the world that wouldn't be there otherwise. And so I know for myself personally, I've spent a lot of my life trying to put myself into this box of I should act this way. I should do these acts of service. I should do. And some of that is true. But I'm really coming into a place where I want to explore 
yeah, like you said, like, what do I want to do? What just makes me excited? And then I might make a list of 10 things. And I mean, on a bad day, maybe seven of them are things I say, "Mm, (laughs) they're not really for other people's flourishing or even my own flourishing. They're maybe sinful or even just neutral to bad ideas. Yeah, or they or they could be good things, mm-hmm. but the price tag for the community yes. as a whole is just not going to be good. Yeah, or it's just not for now. Yeah. But there might be a few things on that list that really are the things that God wants me to use my gifts in a way that builds up the body but isn't quite so cookie-cutter looking as I thought it would be, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think even like one of the things that has become really apparent over the course of this series. Like one of the things in Enneagram theory is this idea that a chief desire, like there's this desire that gets ahead of all the others. Yes. And, you know, we've been using Tim Keller's language of like, it's a it's a good thing that's made into an ultimate thing. Yeah. And we allow this good desire to become this all-encompassing thing. And we look to it as if it's the thing that's going to like make everything okay in life. Right. And again, I think a lot of Christians come to it and they're like, then the way I need to do that is I need to deny all of that in totality. When Jesus talks about that we should deny ourselves, he is not saying cease to be a person. He's not saying (laughs) cease to have desire. He's not saying Mm -hmm. what he's, what he's talking about is all these false ways that we try to come to him, that we try to come to God, that we try Mm -hmm. to justify our own salvation He's saying deny those things. Yes. But it is not possible for us to, we're not like a light switch that we can just sort of turn off all Mm -hmm. the parts of what we want and long for Mm -hmm. and desire. And so back to the Enneagram types, there's a sense in which all of us have to contend with this reality. I am the Enneagram type that I am Mm -hmm. because I've taken a good thing and I want it too much. Right. And the answer to that is not to just switch it off and to go, well, I just won't want that anymore. I'm just going to stop acting like I want that. That's actually even more dangerous. Right, because you actually can't do that. You can't. It will just come out sideways. Absolutely, and we see it all the time. We see that in Christendom all the time. Mm -hmm. You'll see different leaders, you know, different, you know, just folks within the church, like they'll pretend as though I don't want that anymore, and you watch it. It's just dominating their life. Yeah. So we get stuck between these two choices, you know, of like, do I worship the thing or deny it? And again, it's like, neither one of those is the option. It's we want to bring it to the Lord and put it back in its right place. Right. And we've talked a lot about, you got to have that chief desire of loving God and loving other people as you love yourself. Like that's got to lead the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then that puts everything else back into, you know, its proper places. Yeah. As we were discussing this episode and all that we've learned, The word that just keeps popping up for me is that term like wielding, Mm -hmm. you know, because we don't want to control it because that gives us that idea again of restraining it or putting it in some sort of box or just working really hard in some way that's not natural. Um, But the idea of wielding something, you know, you're not swinging to either pendulum. You're working to hold the tension of these two ropes that want to pull you to one extreme or the other. And that's It's the third way and it's the harder way, really, because it is so nuanced. So I really want for myself and for all of you listening, just for us to have curiosity about what does it look like to wield these desires. And that means admitting what they are, you know, getting curious about what's underneath of those desires and having a little bit of permission to mess up along the way. Because, I mean, some of us are ready give ourselves too much permission, I guess, in that way. 
that's not how I am wired. And so for people who are really wired toward the deny, 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 I would just give yourself a little space to try knowing that we're never going to get it exactly right Mm -hmm. on this side Mm -hmm. of things, but that we're just trying to live in that tension. So sometimes you might pursue a desire and realize two steps in, actually, this is not working for me or others or whatever the circumstance may be. Other times you might step into something and not be fully sure. And it ends up being this beautiful thing um, that you that comes into the world because of what you tried. So I just want us to have a little bit of permission to play with our desires, like to be open to them and curious about them. And also to be able to say, oh, actually, you know, no, not that way. That's okay. And I can course correct instead of feeling like I can't even try to look at my desires because what if it's not what God wants or what if I sin down the road? Yeah. Because I just think that that is a, a restraint that doesn't actually keep us from sinning and it actually withholds our gifts. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that keeps coming to mind for me too is, uh, and I don't recall if I said this earlier or not, but it makes me think of uh, something that Rich Plass said to the group that I was a part of years ago. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, not every desire has to be expressed but every desire does need to be acknowledged. Yeah. And and I think, again, we're back to this place of like unacknowledged desire is very dangerous. Right. Because unacknowledged, if we don't admit to ourselves, mm-hmm. I want this thing, um, what happens is that it begins to operate in the background. It's like malware right. on your computer. <laughs> like it is still at work doing its thing. And instead of you steering it and directing it, it will begin to steer and direct you instead. But when we acknowledge it, we admit to ourselves, okay, right or wrong, I want this thing. And then we begin to take it to God. And then eventually we also take it to other people. Mm -hmm. Then we begin to bring it into the light where we can discern, is the thing itself good? Or is it actually just pointing to something even deeper? Right. And so, you know, an example of that would be we've done a little bit of work with Jay Stringer's uh, book, Unwanted. And his right. whole book, Unwanted, is about unwanted sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. And there's tons and tons of ways in which our broken sexuality comes out in ways that is not good. It's not for right. the flourishing of people. And Jay Stringer's done a ton of great work around pull that thread, figure out where did that come from? Yeah. Why is it there? What is the deeper truth that that even that broken expression of sexuality is getting at? Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's a word for us as it just comes to desire in general is like, pay attention to the desire under the desire. Yeah. And Lindsay, to your point, like we have to trust God that his grace is enough. Right. So as we fumble our way through this whole thing, that he can hold whatever kind of crazy can kind of come out of us. But also there's so much good. There is so much buried good desire inside mm-hmm. all of us. Because even in his common grace, like he just he gives that gift to us. So, yeah. um, Yeah. So a lot of what we've just unpacked really focuses on those of us who struggle with denying our desire. But there are some of us, a lot of us in this culture that um, we just want to have all our desires and we don't know what to do with the reality that even some of our really good desires we can't have. Yeah. So we talked about this earlier. You had some really good thoughts about you know, what do we do with the sorrow and disappointment that we have regarding really good or fine desires that we just don't get to have? Yeah. So let me say on the front side, 
there is no easy way through this one. Yeah. So there's nothing that I can say now that's just sort of like a like, oh, that solves that I solves all my unfulfilled so desires. <laughs> what are you singing? Doc McStuffins. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let me say on the front side, there's no easy way to answer this question. Mm-hmm. But what is also true is this. No one gets everything they want in life. Yeah. Jesus did not get everything he wanted. We're not going to get everything that we want. Mm-hmm. So the question that is on the table for all of us is, what do I do with my unfulfilled desire? Mm. And for some of us, the way that we cope with that is we try to stop desiring. Yeah. So we we literally attempt to go, I won't want, I won't long, I won't dream because it's too heartbreaking. It's yeah. like, and I get that. Like we can't, it's really hard to cope when we long for something and we just realize, you know, at some point we go, that's probably out of reach and I'm yeah. probably never going to get that thing. And I think that at some level, part of our journey with Christ is the ability to trust the reality that our appetites are too big for this world Mm -hmm. and that Jesus has every intention of fulfilling them, but probably not in the way that Mm -hmm. we would like for them to be. Mm -hmm. And the culture, you know, non-Christian thought looks at suffering and thinks it's just meaningless. It's there's no purpose to it. Um, The purpose of life should be to minimize suffering. But there's something mysterious and beautiful where Jesus comes along and actually says, when you suffer, I suffer with you. Mm -hmm. And when I suffer, you suffer with me. And that actually this suffering can can actually be beautiful because Mm -hmm. it can lead to to this incredible transformation in our lives. Mm -hmm. God can use it to forge us into something that's a more true expression of who he wants us to be. But there is this reality. And I think, I think especially, Lindsay, I think, you know, it shows up in different ages but I do think there's something about middle age in particular. Mm-hmm. Not we're, that we're there. We're both 25. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Says the gray on my face. Um, but I think there is something about you get to middle age and you really do truly begin to realize some of these things I always thought were going to happen. Yeah. They ain't going to happen. Yeah. And we have to make a decision at that point. And the decision is if I can't cope with the fact that these dreams aren't going to come to pass— we can either use all of the talents and the money and the skills that we've obtained that we didn't have when we were younger. We can go back and try again. Mm-hmm, and they call mm-hmm. that a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. Or the other choice is we grieve. And I think that that's back to, even in the grief, that's back to what Kurt Thompson was talking about, is that there is this movement towards we grieve, and in the midst of grieving our losses, that we begin to see that there's actually some beauty that's buried in there mm-hmm. where we can begin to pay attention to the things that we long for and the things that we want. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally as people, we have to learn how do I make peace with the life that I have Yeah. and the reality that some things I, I'm just not going to be able to experience in this life. And can I trust that I will ultimately be satisfied, Yeah. but it may not be right away. Yeah. I mean, that really reminds me of two things. The first thing is that we started this episode and really this everything we do we talk about we want to walk in the life and lifestyle of Jesus and so when we're talking about desire we're talking about Jesus created us to have desire just as he had desires so we're like him in that way and we're learning how to wield desire like Christ did he constantly lived in the tension he rarely ever did what we would expect or think was a cliche, culturally appropriate response for his time. Um, But then third, he suffered. Mm -hmm. 
you know. And so to really walk in the life and lifestyle of Jesus, we do embrace suffering and we become more and more like our Savior because of it, even though it isn't enjoyable necessarily in the moment. But the second thing, which we haven't talked about, but I'll just throw it out there Mm -hmm. as you were talking, it just kept bringing to mind the story of Lazarus and how, you know, Jesus is off teaching and here are his like besties. They send him a note and they're like, Lazarus is sick. He's about to die. Come, you know, come be with us. Come heal him. Like come do something. Help us. You know, and he doesn't. He he waits. He does. He stays where he's at. And then when he comes, there's so much grief at what could have been, you know, and what wasn't and the desires they had that were unfulfilled. And they're grieving. And we even see this moment of Jesus going to the tomb, you know, and that he's grieving. And there's a thousand sermons on why Jesus wept, you know. But the thing that's most compelling to me that I, in my understanding is just the idea of as the son of man, as the human, he, he could see what death was, which was it's not supposed to be this way. This is the ultimate brokenness that he is coming to restore in this already not yet that we live in. And so to me, that story is something we can really kind of meditate on to see this idea of Jesus's life and ministry, wielding desires, but also grieving, you know, as our good desires are unmet, as they Mm -hmm. often are. Mm -hmm. So for whatever that's worth, it just kept really like vividly coming to mind as you were sharing that. So Yeah, and I think even, Lindsay, like even like we look at the world and we just see like there's so so many things we experience on a daily basis, like good things, mm-hmm. you know, that they came at some level actually out of people's pain. I experienced this horrible thing in my childhood, this really tragic thing. Yeah. And as people get older, like we look for ways to redeem those stories. What was the purpose of that hardship? Yeah. What was the purpose of that ache? And so I think that there is this, you know, for lack of a better term, like there's a symbiotic relationship between sadness and grief. Mm-hmm and good longing and good desire. And so if we have to contend with tragedy and loss and heartache uh, and unfulfilled desire, I think there's another side to it, which is this side of beauty. So for you, I'm thinking all the way back to the first episode, and Kurt Thompson talked a ton about Mm -hmm. the relationship between desire and beauty. Mm -hmm. So for you, like, what sticks out about the relationship between desire and beauty? Right. At first, when we were talking about desire and beauty, it felt really vague to me. It wasn't the clearest concept. You know, it wasn't something I already had on board Mm -hmm. um, in my own thinking. And we talk a lot about capital T truth, you know, and what that means. So I started thinking of it as capital B beauty, Mm. you know, as in like all truth is God's truth. All, you know, real beauty is God's beauty. Mm. And so I've been really ruminating on that. And then as we began to gather our final thoughts and we were kind of going back and forth between this deny allow deny allow like it's it's still hard to find that beautiful tension and it just struck me that beauty really is the key to wielding our desires because as we become open to desires and curious about our desires we can look at them and see what are the desires i have that bring beauty and flourishing into the world. And I think of 
you know, Adam and Eve in the garden cultivating the earth. And, you know, they were bringing beauty, you know, into this world that God had created by cultivating it. And that as Christians, we're doing that. We're bringing, you know, your kingdom come, you know, here on earth as it is in heaven sort of ideas. So when we look at our desires, it can be very confusing. Like, well, I want this and I want that. And but when we put on that lens, the filter of what is beautiful, you know, what brings flourishing, not just for myself, for my community, for my neighbors, for my family, for um, the marginalized, you know, all the all the things Jesus cared about. When I start to put that filter on now, it feels like the key for me mm. for this is how our desires are different than just what the culture is telling us. It gives us some guidelines that we can use on our journey through desire. Mm. Yeah, it's like the world does not actually need Christians that desire less. The world yeah. needs Christians that desire more. Mm-hmm. But I think to your point, it is about, you know, when desire arises within us, in what ways, if at all, like is this moving toward beauty, true mm-hmm. beauty, capital B beauty, mm-hmm and towards relational flourishing. Those two pieces, you know, help to guide us. Um, so we thought that we would uh, would close out this whole series on desire with a quote from Tim Keller. Dr. Keller was somebody that we have loved and mm-hmm. respected around these offices for years. We actually have a portrait of him hanging in our office. <laughs> um, of course, with his recent passing, that is something that... Uh, that we were all saddened by. And uh, we uh, were not surprised at all to come across a quote from Mm -hmm. him where something that has taken us episodes and episodes and episodes (laughs) to say, here's Tim Keller just sort of summarizing it. So with that being said, here's a a closing remark uh, from Tim Keller. What the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. What makes people into what they are is the order of their loves. What they love most, more, less, and least. That is more fundamental to who you are than even the beliefs to which you mentally subscribe. Your loves show what you actually believe in, not what you say you do. Change happens not just by giving the mind new arguments, but also by feeding the imagination new beauties. So friends, keep moving towards what is beautiful, keep moving towards relational flourishing, and keep paying attention to your desires because God's at work in and through them. If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to Cliff Roth from Crosspoint Ministry. Whether you're looking for educational programs, preventative coaching, crisis intervention, or renewal ministry for you personally, your marriage, or your organization, check out Crosspoint Ministry at crosspointministry.com. And special thanks to all of our guests from this series, especially Dr. Kurt Thompson for helping us explore desire. This podcast is a production of Relate Better. Stop settling for dysfunction when you could be enjoying healthy relationships. Check out our articles, workshops, books, and video courses to help you build better relationships by visiting relatebetter.com. Again, if you're looking for tools to build better relationships, check out relatebetter.com. This episode was written and produced by Jesse Eubanks and myself, Lindsay Lewis. 
theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.